the ninth chapter, but I'm going to do some other things too. Uh, what's on my mind is fulfilled prophecies. You've got all kinds of categories of, of prophecies in the Bible, but the overall big two categories is fulfilled and unfulfilled. Now you can categorize them all in one of those two categories. Now the unfulfilled prophecies, what everybody always inquisitive about. But the thing with unfulfilled prophecies is that they're unfulfilled. And nobody can give you the exact fulfillment of them until the Lord does. That is, when they're fulfilled. But the other category of fulfilled prophecies, abundant. And they were fulfilled exactly as the Bible says. For example, I'm going to go back to Daniel 9, but go to Genesis 3. Verse 15. And this, of course, is what we call the Proto-Evangelium. That would be the first gospel. Gospel in the Greek is euangelizo, zestai, yeah. But the proto-evangelium is, proto is first, and this is the first giving of the gospel. Well, here's what it says. And, of course, God speaking to Adam and Eve. I will put enmity... Between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Of course, the serpent. And we know the serpent is that old devil, Satan. Now, it was a real serpent. But Satan had inhabited it. All right, so as God places the curses on all... All of them. And here's the curse that he puts on the devil. So enmity. And I can't help but believe that's with snakes. I know there's some people that love snakes. But I think they've had to sear their conscience with a hot iron. In order to do that. Anybody here love snakes? Do you love them in your house? Crawling on you? Well, I don't either. And I think people that do are a little bit touched in the head. But that's not the only enmity that's here. He said, between thy seed and her seed, that would be the seed of the serpent or the devil, 
and the seed of the woman. And that seed turns out to be Christ. All right, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, a heel bruise is bad. But it's not as bad as a head bruise. See what that's coming down. Huh? Is that, that's, that's messy, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. Uh, so, there is a gospel, there is a prophecy. Now, look at 1 John chapter 4. Let me find it here. Neil, I've got the wrong verse. Hang on. He was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What am I looking for? I thought I had it marked, but I don't. I'm missing it someplace. I'm old and blind. He was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Anybody catch that? Huh? Is it 3 8? I thought it was 4 9. Yeah. First John three eight. I don't know why I got four nine. Anyway, first John three eight. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In my opinion, that is the fulfillment of Genesis three fifteen. Okay? So now we've got we're dealing with a fulfilled prophecy. And there is no question about it. All right? Go back to Genesis 15. God dealing with Abram. This is before he's called Abraham. And he says to Abraham, brought, brought him forth abroad, said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto, them, unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and counted, he counted him for righteousness. Now, notice there that God told Abram, or he gave him a rhetorical question. Can you number the stars? Abram obviously knew that he couldn't. But now back in the 19th century, 
Some of them claimed that they had numbered the stars. And there was about 2,200 and something. They really did. Until now they understand that there's no way. They don't even know how, where they are, much less how many there are. Uh, so God is not surprised at how many stars there are. He already knew because he created them. Amen. All right. But now he's dealing with Abram. And he said, now, I'm the Lord, verse 7, I brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees. They used to think that there wasn't an Ur of the Chaldees. That's all just Bible myth. Until they discovered Ur of the Chaldees. And then they also discovered uh, one-room schoolhouses. They had little slates that they wrote on. That's 4,000 years ago. Do you know it's been a proven fact the most effective schools there ever were were one-room schoolhouses? It's because you've got all the grades in there and you've got the older kids with the younger kids and I don't know if you've ever observed or not, I'm sure you have, that the younger kids, they'll listen to older kids way before they'll listen to you. Am I right or wrong? They would rather, much rather, listen to older children than to listen to you. What I'm telling you is that this, this may be old, but it ain't outdated. It's right up to par. Anyway, he said, I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. All right, then, then he takes out some animals and going to build him a, an altar and sacrifice to God. This is a good message right here when the... He took them, verse 10, all, all these, that's a ram, heifer, she-goat, turtle dove, young pigeon, divided them in the midst. That means he cut them up, flayed them, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided not. They weren't big enough to divide. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Birds came down on those car carcasses. Fowls don't always indicate something that's good. A mustard seed and the tree and the birds of the air, the fowls of the air came and roosted in it. Not necessarily good. Well, it wasn't here either. And that's why Abram drove them away. Might want to you that you, that'll preach driving away the fowls from your sacrifice, false teachings and all that. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Well, it was a big dream, vision, dream that he had. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger 
in a land that is not theirs. And shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now this is 500 years before Moses. God raises up Moses to deliver the children of Israel who are in hard bondage to the Africans, Egyptians. You ought to use that word African, Egyptian, every time you talk about it. Let people know. Because that's what it was. We're not into hiding things. Anyway. Now there's a fulfilled prophecy. To the nth degree. All right. Verse 14. And also. That nation whom they shall serve. Will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. Now the scripture says that they borrowed from the Egyptians. And where did they get all of that Raw materials to build that beautiful tabernacle. Gold, silver, bronze, sheet of wood. All of the fine linen, the jewels, the ram skin, and the red dye, and the purple dye, and the blue dyes, the goat skins. The uh, badger skins. They brought it with them. (laughs) They didn't set up mines. They didn't go mining for gold and silver and jewels and bronze. They brought it all with them. They shall come out with great substance. They did, didn't they? There's fulfilled prophecy. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. 175. Isn't that what Abraham was? I'd call that a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come here again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I'm not 100% sure of what the iniquity of the Amorites was. Are you? I just know that God doesn't do anything before he's ready for it. I know in Thessalonians he says that uh, the Jews will fill up their sin always before all this stuff comes to pass. Now what's that mean? They'll fill up their sin. That means they're going to sin to their limit. They've got a limit. And they're going to get to that limit before this all happens. Before it all comes about. Well, all right. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Well, I've never seen such a thing, have you? I think it'd be... Wouldn't you love to have a little video of it? Man, that's God receiving his offerings. And then, verse 18, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, 
saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. From the river of Egypt, and that's got to be the Nile River, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Ah, we, we're, we've got that in the news right now. It's drying up. There are the boundaries of the promised land. Now, as far as we know, part of that's been fulfilled, but not all of it. Israel has never gone to the river Euphrates. I don't think even in Solomon's time they went that far. Although Israel was at its tops under Solomon. Never reached that again. But there is the boundary. One time, one of those trips to Europe, I was in the airport at uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And I can't remember whether it was headed back to the States or headed over. Probably was headed back to the States. And we had a little layover, weight on it. And there was this military man, I could tell he was from Israel. And he wasn't no Palestinian, he was a Jew. You can tell by their markings and all that, you know. And I spoke to him, he spoke good English. Uh, and we got to talking. And sure enough, he was a Jew. He said, you know, he was in the, the Israeli Air Force, fighter jet. <laughs> Tough dude, buddy. <laughs> and... Uh, I said, let me ask you something. I said, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. But I said, you're a Jew. You're in the Jews' religion, yeah? I said, you all know the Old Testament, don't you? Oh, sure. I said, you know what God told Abram in the 15th chapter of Genesis from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates? He said, yeah, we know that. <laughs> I said, Woo! He said, we'll get that. I said, I'm more power to you. I'm praying for you to get it. Amen. I know you want to get it because God said you were. Amen. I had a good conversation with him. I really did. Uh, so, you got to say, a lot of fulfilled prophecy here. And some not quite fulfilled. But now with everything fulfilled so far up to this, you ought not to have any doubts about it all being fulfilled, should you? All right, let's go to Genesis 22. Verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abram, Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up. Now, early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clay were split the wood for the burnt offering. And rose up and went into the, unto the place of which God had told him. 
Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Now understand, this is the child of promise. This is the one that God promised Abraham and Sarah, her being nine and him being a hundred, and that already made a big boo-boo. Sarah telling him to go into her handmaid, and they created the Arabs and consequently the Muslims. They're still suffering from from it. So that that was not a blessing from God. That, That that relationship was not a blessed of God, not at all. But anyway, the one, the blessing of God was over Isaac, the child of promise, and they should have just waited and let God bring it forth in his own time. But anyway, now though, God's telling Abraham, take this, your only son. And go offer him on the sacrifice. Abraham did just exactly that. Somebody said, well, I think he did that because he knew. No, he didn't know anything. He didn't know any such thing. He knew God could resurrect him. But in order for God to resurrect him, he has to die. So God is going to take his only son. And so they go up. He didn't protest a word. Abraham moved by faith. Romans and Galatians both tell us that. Hebrews. So they get up there. And Abraham, verse 10 stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He wasn't saying, I know God, you're not going to let me do this. He's looking on beyond this. You can bring him back. When I kill him, you can bring him back. Now, God never ordained human sacrifice except his only begotten son, The man Christ Jesus. So. He stretched out his hand. Took the knife. To slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. Said Abraham. Abraham. And he said here am I. And he said lay not thine hand upon the lad. What beautiful words. (laughs) You talk about how you spell relief. (laughs) <laughs> Lay not thine hand to the lad. That's how I spell it. Neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now that rattles. Them horns in that bush. And I always said that that's the most beautiful symphony 
that Abraham has ever or will ever hear in his life. When he heard that rustling. Because he looked around, he said, he offered him, took the ram. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Mount Moriah, that's where the temple's built. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Fulfilled prophecy, there it is again. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all that. God provided that. Now there's many, many more fulfilled prophecies. I just thought I'd hit those and now let's go to Daniel 9. Daniel, the ninth chapter. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now that's seven and sixty and two is sixty-nine. The streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's our missing week. Now, a lot of people don't believe that. But you can't deny that uh, there's a separation between the first 69 weeks and the 70th week. And he shall confirm the covenant of the many for one week. And in the midst of the week, the middle of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation and that determinant shall be poured upon the desolate. Now I do not pretend to be an expert on this. But I know it's got to be dealt with. And it won't do to say, oh, that's all fulfilled. Some of it is. We're still talking about fulfilled prophecy and unfulfilled prophecy. We've got much of that's fulfilled. Matter of fact... Much of it is. Look, he says, 70 weeks, those are weeks of years. I don't think anybody has any problem with that. 70 times 7 is 490. 
490 years. All right. Now, we've got a few mathematical problems here. Here's a couple things that we can put down if you're going to get real heavy with this. In the first place, if they're using Babylonian years here, which there's a good chance they are, Babylonian months had 30 days. You could account for about seven years that way. Beside the fact that the Gregorian calendar that we use today, that's the Pope, his calendar, about the time of the Reformation. That's the calendar that we use. Why we use that, I don't know. We're stuck with it. But that calendar is anywhere from four to six years off. So with those little provisos, we can account for some difference in the math. And I don't pretend to know the math down to the detail, but I know it's right. Whatever God says is right, however they figured it. And it's not necessary for us to know now. Look what he says. From the going forth, verse 25, of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 8. Verse 7, Nehemiah said, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, beyond the Euphrates and the Tigris, going back to Israel, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now that would be somewhere 444 to 446 B.C. Huh? All right. That's the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. All right. Now, what's going to take place here? The going forth of the commandment to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Now, there's no question about who Messiah, the Prince is. That's Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. Shall be seven weeks at three score and two weeks. That's 69 weeks. All right. Now, that comes to 483 years. Our time schedule gets off just a little bit, but if you figure those little indicators I put back there, the calendar we're using, the calendar Babylon they used in Babylon, that would account for every bit of that. Now, 
Uh, so from 445 to the time Jesus enters into his public ministry and gets on the cross. That's approximately three and a half years. Some say it's four, some say it's three. Most of us say it's three and a half. So you've got to take that into consideration. All right. Here's the three things right here. The holy city, of course, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, that would be the transgression of Antiochus Epiphanes and all of that during the time between the Testaments. To make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. That would be the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. Uh, there's how many scriptures that tell us that Jesus Christ entered in once for all. Having obtained redemption. Eternal life. Eternal salvation for all of his people. That's everlasting righteousness. It'll never, it'll never change because he has done that. He has fulfilled that. So here we're dealing with fulfilled prophecy. And it says uh, to seal up the vision and prophecy. Look over chapter 12. Uh, Chapter 12 of Daniel and verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. I think that has something to do with that. All right. And then he says, And to anoint the most holy. You read in Paul's writings in Corinthians. He says. Your body is the temple of God. But he also says the church is the temple of God. One place it says don't do anything to harm this temple. Another place it says don't do anything to harm this temple. The church of the living God. All right. So, the most holy. When you see what Paul says about the church, the words that he uses is the most holy. You look at the temple, look at the tabernacle. You had the holy place, but then you had the most holy, the holy of holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where only the high priest could go one time a year with much, with much incense and the blood of the goat, of the Lord's goat. So I believe in the kind of, in the kind of church that Jesus built, we have a most holy, a holy of holies. Well, he says, and to anoint 
the most holy. When did that take place? On the day of Pentecost. I believe that's the all of the goings on on Acts 1 and Acts 2. When the baptism in the Holy Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost. And that is the anointing, the indwelling, the approval of God on his church. The kind of church that he built. So these things... You've got some, much of it fulfilled, but then he says, Messiah the Prince shall come. But then on this other one, verse 26, shall Messiah be cut off after 62 weeks, but not for himself. Cut off meant cut off out of the land of the living but not for himself. He didn't die because of his own sins. He died because of the sins of his people. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week in the midst of the week. He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now you've got two princes here. A lot of brethren don't make that distinction. You've got Messiah the prince. That's unmistakable. That's Jesus Christ. But the prince that shall come, who is that? Well, first look over Matthew 24. Verse 21. He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, except those days should be shortened. I think the days are still 24-hour days. How are they shortened? I don't know. There's not as many of them. Somehow. You've got to make adjustments. But you really can't make much adjustment because you don't know for sure how many to adjust. That's why no man knows, the hour, knows when he's coming. And we'll know when he gets here. But except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For then shall arise false Christs and false promises or false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that 
if it were possible, or if possible, that words in italics, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I've told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, uh, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles uh, be uh, also gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall uh, from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Amen. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree when its branch is yet tender. And put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh or near. So likewise, ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Every I say unto you, this generation shall not come to pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But if that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And it tickles me when I hear these guys saying they know the day. Because I know they don't. Uh, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that they were before the flood, or that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and I'm read the rest of that. Uh, one more over here. Uh, wait a minute. Earlier in the chapter, many shall come in my name, verse 5, saying, I'm Christ, shall deceive many. Uh, you shall hear wars, rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Uh, where's the abomination of death that make it? There it is, verse 15. Let me read through to that. Uh, the nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. We not, ought not to be getting upset about what's going on, folks. It's going to get worse. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and cause iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. saved. That's not talking about getting saved from your sins. And this gospel of the king's kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now those uh, preterists. Try to tell us that that's what happened in 70 A.D. Nothing like that happened. Revelation 13 tells you 
what the abomination that maketh desolate will be, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells you what will be. That he will, the Antichrist, now go back to Daniel, and I've got to quit here, but Daniel the 11th chapter. In verse 32, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Let us imitate that verse. Learn who God is. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping, helped, with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will. I'm saying that's the prince that shall come. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined, that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not. Shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things, then thus shall he do, in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory and he shall cause them to rule over many shall divide the land for the gain, for gain. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen with many ships he shall enter into the countries. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. But I believe that's, that's talking about the Antichrist, the man of sin, and the abomination that maketh desolate, that Jesus said, stand ye in the holy place. That is exactly what he's talking about. This God, this, this man, the king will, will worship the God of forces. And he will demand that he be worshipped above all that is called God. Read Second Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13 and you will find that. All right, so much of it's been fulfilled. Some of it has not been. And we will be watching and serving. Amen. But you know what we must do in all of this bad stuff? Continue in the things that we've learned. Just continue on. We're not going to do anything new. Not going to do anything different. We're going to continue on worshiping God and the Spirit and the truth. And witnessing every opportunity we have, preach the word of God. Amen. Let's all.